Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022. Who is going to be in Jesus's cabinet when the administration of Jesus Christ is inaugurated over this world and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, uh, who's going to be taking those top positions? Now, in our culture, in our time, we we don't have a lot of experience with a monarchy, Uh, but we're used to presidents coming and going. You think of the Biden administration, the Trump administration, and going all the way back. And there's this period of time once a president is elected to when they are inaugurated. And one of the big questions is, in who is he going to appoint to those top positions? You know, who's going to be the Secretary of State? Who's going to be the Attorney General? All of these different questions are asked in those times. And usually, those that get appointed to those positions are already powerful people. And often, they are people who somehow partnered with whoever has been elected as a part of their campaign, even, right? You help me, I'll help you, kind of, a lot of times, people who are already powerful, dividing up that power and that leadership amongst themselves. Well, that gives kind of a context for the question that we see asked in our New Testament reading today. And we're looking at Matthew 17, 24 through 18, 14, Mark 9, 33 through 50, Luke 9, 46 through 50. And as we look mostly at the Matthew passage, we see, as you get there to chapter 18, the disciples come to Jesus and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And think of that. They're basically asking, okay, who's going to get the top jobs? You know, when you're the king, Jesus, who's going to be your secretary of state? Who's going to be the secretary of the treasury? You know, which of us disciples are getting which positions? And even in one of the other passages, you see how Jesus kind of initiates some of the conversation and they're embarrassed because they have been debating about this. So we see there's even a sense that they know they, they shouldn't be talking about this or debating about it like They have been, but look at how Jesus responds. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus reveals that his kingdom is going to be an upside-down kingdom, an upside-down hierarchy. It's not going to be just, you know, the people that are already powerful getting more powerful. No, he uses the illustration of a child and says, well, unless you're like this child, one, you're not even going to get into the kingdom. But two, uh, you will not be the greatest in the kingdom. It's those that become like a child that will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what is meant by that picture? Well, you think of a child, and that's where we're going to talk some differences about being childlike in the positive way that Jesus is describing and being childish in some of the negative things that we will see. But that that childlike quality, when you think of a a child uh, that is well-behaved, right, there is a simplicity 
to their mindset. I mean, you think of this as just a simple, helpless, trusting dependence, right? When a child is just with their mom and dad, and because of that, they're not worried about anything. They're not, you know, questioning everything. They're just simply trusting and sweetly following their mom or dad. And Jesus is saying that those that will be great in the kingdom are those that just sweetly and simply trust and follow me. And what's hard, and even we see this idea, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself is that takes a lot of humility to live life that way. It takes humility to live with that kind of dependence because step one of having that level of dependence is admitting how incredible your need is. And really, you think through, that's a lot of the reasons why we don't pray like we should, like we don't serve like we should. It's actually because we're too proud and we don't want to admit all the help that we need and to simply lean on and trust in God. But he's saying that is the mindset that will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So examine your own heart today. Are you following Jesus with a sweet yet simple trust the faith of a child and just walking each day with him, trusting that he will provide for you, trusting that he will protect you. That is the kind of mindset that he wants his people to have. And it's that kind of mindset that Jesus is going to reward in the kingdom, in this upside down kingdom that doesn't operate uh, like the world does. And you see so much of that in what Jesus says, right? The greatest will be a servant and all of these different things. And even the disciples caring about their position. Jesus says, no, that's not the way that it should be. So examine your own heart today. And I hope this encourages all of us to have that sweet, simple, childlike trust to depend on God. Um, and, and then we see this transition along with this topic of you know receiving one such child, but then the warning that comes about causing one of these little ones to sin. And then there's some severe warnings about temptation. Now, as we think through those, I want us to connect these topics a little bit, because sometimes I think we're a little too limited when we consider this warning about causing others to sin or leading others into temptation. Uh, we think of that as very limited. Oh, you know, I I did something that caused somebody else to sin, you know, or I enticed them, I seduced them into some kind of sin. Now, certainly that is a wicked thing that we should not do. You shouldn't seduce someone into sexual immorality or you shouldn't give, uh, you know, intoxicating drugs to somebody else. No, Uh, but I think we should think of more than just that, more than just those things. And I think when we aren't childlike, when we start to care more about ourselves, that will lead into conflict. And it's often in that conflict that people will be led into sin. And so I think if we are really living with a sweet, simple, childlike trust in God, it will lead us into less conflict with other people, which will be less sin. So I think that's another thing. And again, we can't necessarily hold ourselves responsible for other people's sin, but At the same time, we should look at the seriousness of these words and watch our actions and consider, yes, hopefully I'm not 
directly enticing uh, somebody to do something immoral. But I also want to say, I want to make sure that I'm not stirring up conflict or stirring up trouble because I'm being selfish that will bring other people into sin with me. So heed that warning from Jesus as well. And also consider the warnings about really our own temptation, right? If our eye causes us to sin or your hand or your foot. And that's where, again, I think Jesus is speaking with a measure of hyperbole here. But uh, note just the drastic nature of his words and the seriousness with which he speaks of sin. Uh, Sin is a big deal. And that's where... Uh, We think of Hebrews chapter 3, sin is deceptive, and sin will cause uh, some of us to walk away from Jesus Christ. And that's because it it deceives us. It says, oh, it's okay to try to follow Jesus and hold on to this sin, which the Bible makes clear is not true. But then eventually that will fester, that will flourish, and it will lead to death. It will lead to apostasy. So we need to consider these warnings. We need to consider the danger of sin. And again, you need to examine your own life. Is there something that you need to cut out of your life? Because all it is doing is leading you into sin or causing temptation. And you need to see how serious serious that is. Don't let sin deceive you. Don't let sin lie to you. But let's continue living with that sweet, simple, childlike faith, trusting in our Savior Jesus, following him every single day. And that's what will lead to greatness in his upside down kingdom. Now let's go back to the book of Warriors, or I guess that's what we'll start calling the book of Numbers as we are reading through it. And today we read chapters 3 and 4, and this is focused mostly on the duties of the priests. And you see at the end of chapter 3 this explanation, if you remember from our reading, after the Passover, where God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, there was this command and this idea that the firstborn of the nation of Israel will belong to him. The firstborn will be dedicated to him. Well, now that there's been a shift along the way later in the book of Exodus, even just because of some of the things that the tribe of Levi did, well, now that's going to change from the firstborn belonging to God and his service to this whole tribe. The Levites will be devoted to the service of the Lord. And so we read some of the things. If you remember, when we were numbering the warriors in chapters 1 and 2, we didn't number the Levites because they are not meant to go out and fight wars and to fight battles. They are meant to serve the Lord. And so we see, though, what their responsibilities are in these chapters, as you see just some of their duties, some of the descendants and genealogies, but then you get into what they are supposed to do, and specifically one of just how they break down the responsibilities of moving the tabernacle. In chapter 2, we saw how this camp of warriors was supposed to be arranged. Well, right at the middle of it was to be the tabernacle. And God always wanted his presence to be in the middle of the camp. And so it's important that that is moved and that is set up, right? Uh, And that's the responsibility of the Levites. So again, you might see, oh, this isn't the most exciting thing to read, but notice how important it was in their life that God and the worship of God was meant to be at the center of their army, at the center really of their civilization. And that's where it doesn't 
Don't think it should take too much for us to think, well, the worship of God should be at the center of our lives. It should be at the center of our families. Uh, And a good reminder there from this uh, book of Numbers. And you also still see the ideas of holiness of Leviticus coming through and how they were not to touch the holy things. That might come up later on this year uh, when we see someone touch one of these holy things in a way they weren't just the, the clear commands of God with regard to these things. So uh, some more things there in the book of warriors, as we are calling it this year, as we read through it, um, as the camp is arranged and the centrality of worship in their society. But as we consider what kind of kingdom Jesus will have, let us remember that it's not just you know the rich and the powerful that we will be rewarded in his kingdom. It is those who follow him, those who trust him with this childlike faith, sweetness and simplicity as we follow him. I hope all of us experience that today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.